It's November 20th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I'm a little bit hoarse today, but I've still got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, Joe Biden turns 81 years old today. Happy birthday to him. But odds are it's not going to be a happy one, assuming that he either looks at his poll numbers, which he should not, or if he listens to a fellow Democrat who is saying this morning that he might run for the presidency too. That update for you shortly. Second, the country of Finland is in the middle of a border battle this morning with illegal migrants being shipped in by the Russians. We'll talk about that, plus how the Taliban is doing the same thing to the European country of Hungary. Third, breaking news out of Argentina. We're going to talk about their new president and why we should care about that South American country in just a bit. Fourth, an update for you on the war in Israel with more attacks on U.S. troops and the possibility this morning of peace. Later, a listener question today from Bob out in Washington State. He wants to know, why doesn't the CIA or the U.S. military just kill the leaders of Hamas already? So today I will address that, the very fun topic of how to kill bad guys via assassination. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. Joe Biden turns 81 years old today. He spent the weekend with the troops in Virginia, and now he is in D.C. with some birthday plans of some kind. But if he wants the day to be a happy one, he might want to avoid looking at his poll numbers. CNN released an assessment over the weekend with this painful fact for him. Over the past 80 years, virtually every president at this point in their re-election effort has led their opponents by at least 10 points on average but not Mr. Biden. He is down by two to four points on all major national polls and even further down amongst the swing states. In other words, if the election were held tomorrow, folks, Mr. Biden would lose the presidency to the man that is expected to be his opponent. Of course, that is former president Donald Trump. Well, that is leading to, well, a lot of Democrats and the White House this morning to stew with worry and asking themselves, why? Well, for starters, it's connected to Mr. Biden's special day today, right? A report out from NPR over the weekend said that all those candles on his birthday cake are making people nervous. 71% of registered voters in just the swing states say that Biden is too old to be an effective president. And that includes 51% of Democrats. But it gets worse. An NBC poll out yesterday shows that Mr. Biden now has his lowest approval number of his presidency, 40%. And it's not just about his age. It's also because of how he is handling the economy, plus his handling of the war in Israel. And that loss of support about the war in Israel was most profound amongst younger Democrats. Indeed, their approval rating for Biden is now down to around 30%. One thing to note on that, actually, younger Democrats are souring on Biden, according to the polls, because of his continued provision of weapons for Israel and simply by voicing any support at all for either Israel or the Jewish people. Indeed, we got a reminder of that late last week. In case you missed it, there is a popular app that's called TikTok. It's a social media company owned by, unfortunately, a Chinese conglomerate. And they had a series of viral videos last week that spread some pretty horrific pro-Jihadi terror propaganda to include the historical writings of Osama bin Laden. And these videos that happened on Friday and through the weekend led to a series of pretty notable outrage TikTok, in response, responded by taking these viral videos down, but not before millions of America's young people had seen it. 
Meanwhile, we pivot to more bad news, unfortunately, for Mr. Biden and his Democrats. And here's why. One of his fellow party members is making some noise about going independent and possibly getting into the White House. And here he is, Democrat Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. He announced that he is going to be leaving the Senate and he's toying with the possibility of running for the presidency. He says that he can do it by mobilizing what he calls the radical middle. These are the people who don't like Biden or Trump. And that helps explain why over the weekend, Mr. Manchin trashed Joe Biden as being too darn radical. Quote, Joe Biden has been pulled so far to the left, the extreme left, that it makes no sense at all to support him. He's not the person that we thought he was going to be to bring this country together. End quote. Mr. Manchin then mocked his fellow Democrats by saying this. Oh, it's inhumane to secure the border. Well, my goodness, Democrats, you can't be the superpower of the world unless you secure the borders, end quote. Meanwhile, Manchin also blasted Trump and Republicans over the weekend, saying that they are wrong for refusing to give illegal migrants work visas so those folks can just pay their way. Plus, he said there is zero chance that we can ever deport millions of people back to their home countries. So there is that from Mr. Manchin about Biden and Trump. Meanwhile, and speaking of Trump and Republicans, the former president is in Texas today talking about the border and his plan to, yes, deport millions of migrants. I covered his five ideas to do so back on November 13th. If you missed that episode, it was a good one, I think. But nevertheless, Trump is back in Texas today talking about migration and to accept an endorsement. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says that he is now on the Trump train. So those are the latest facts and data on what is Mr. Biden's not-so-happy 81st birthday this morning with collapsing poll numbers and at least one Democrat who might be a threat to his plans to get reelected. With that, let me pivot now to my analysis and opinion. So let's start with this issue of age. Biden can clearly run for the presidency. His campaign staff just has to manage and curate his image and time in front of the camera. But the real question is whether he is too old to be president, not just run for the presidency. And this issue of being president, it is all about his mental state. In other words, whether or not he is mentally sound, plus his physical presence and stamina. And by all reasonable measure, folks, Mr. Biden does not appear to have either of those. He is not mentally fit nor physically strong for the office. I mean, my goodness, just watch him try to walk or deliver his speeches. It's pretty painful. And if you go back just five years, you can see that he has declined a lot. So that is all bad politically for him, sure, but it is also dangerous because our friends and enemies alike are watching him too, like a hawk. But the good news is that if you don't want Biden back in the White House, you have a lot of options, ton of them. Indeed, Mr. Trump, you've got other Republicans or this uh, possibly Senator Manchin from West Virginia. There are also other Democrats like uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. He recently announced that he was leaving the Democrat Party, I believe, and running as an independent But look, while all of that uh, political stuff is intriguing, it's interesting, I'm actually more concerned this morning about America's young people. So let's put aside the stuff about Biden versus Trump or Republicans versus Democrats, and let's focus on this. What we are seeing is a shocking number of America's young people who are gravitating towards radical ideologies, including leftist ideologies. Indeed, I've shared on this podcast the facts and data that support that. We've got this pro-Hamas wing of the Democrat Party. We see a lot of that at the universities these days, don't we? We also have socialists in that movement, the Democrat Socialists of America, including people like AOC and such. 
Lastly, we have racial agitators and those groups like the Black Lives Matter movement. All of them, by the way, being spread on platforms like this TikTok, but again, also on university campuses. It's a, it's a mind virus that we're seeing, and it is spreading. So that's why we are going to keep talking about this issue in future episodes. In other words, what is this mind virus exactly? Where did it come from? Who's funding it? And how do we get rid of it if we can? Because that's important. Indeed, seeing all those viral TikTok videos this weekend, the ones that were celebrating Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda, I think that just underlines the seriousness of this issue. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks. And we'll be right back with a focus this morning on international news. Well, fall is officially here, and that means it's time for jackets and sweaters and blankets too. And I'm getting all of mine from American Giant. Yeah, they make clothes and other textiles right here in America. None of that Chinese stuff. Folks, American Giant has it all. Hoodies, polos, jeans, jackets, and yes, blankets. All made in America and all top quality products. And I'm telling you, the moment that you touch this stuff, the second that you put it on, you just know that these products are top shelf. I've got a jacket and a hoodie, and they are amazing. And here's the best news, from my perspective anyway. American Giant is not just some company making stuff. It's seamsters and cutters and factory workers, your neighbors in towns and cities all across this country, who are reopening factories to make you products that you can be proud of. It's about purpose and people, ladies and gentlemen. So do what I've done. Join me in buying clothes from American Giant. And if you do, I'm going to save you a bunch of money. 20% off your first order. Holy cow. So here's how you do it. Go to American-Giant.com. Once you are there, you can choose from their many categories of awesome clothes and products. And when you check out, use promo code RIGHT. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you're going to get that 20% off your first order. So what are you waiting for? Come on now. Let's fill up our wardrobes. Get your fall and winter clothes, ladies and gentlemen, right now at American-Giant.com. Just use that promo code right and get 20% off. So let's go to American-Giant.com and let's make America giant. Folks, I've mentioned to you that to put this podcast together, I work upwards of 12 hours a day. Now that doesn't leave me much time to cook. And that is why I have been so grateful for America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit called Factor. These meals come fresh, delivered right to your doorstep, and take two little minutes to eat. Now, if you are skeptical like I am, I was at first thinking, eh, this stuff is going to taste like airline food. But no, sir. No, ma'am. These Factor meal kits are good. And Factor has a wide variety of meals to choose from, folks, covering lunch and dinner and some very good breakfast options, too. Portion sizes, by the way, are appropriate and modest, making them perfect as a nice meal or a hearty snack for hungry guys like me. Bottom line, folks, you know that I take great care when endorsing products, and I sure do with this one. Factor is my go-to option for when I am just too darn busy to cook. That is why you must head to factormeals.com slash right five zero. Use that promo code right five zero and you're going to get 50% off. Again, that is factormeals.com slash W-R-I-G-H-T five zero. And you're going to go and get 50% off, folks. What a deal. Go there and get this stuff today. 
Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue this morning with a pivot towards international news. First, we are off to Finland. Yeah, great country, European country, and a new NATO partner of ours. So we first spoke of this nation back on July 13th, if you missed that episode. But to refresh our memories, we're interested in Finland for three reasons. First, they are a very important trade partner of ours, around $11 billion annually. Second, they've got some important political drama that sounds a lot like ours. And here it is. A flood of illegal migrants and asylum seekers are going into that nation and causing a horrific spike in crime. Third, Russian President Vladimir Putin is not happy with Finland because they recently joined our NATO alliance. So we have been pretty anxiously watching to see what, if anything, Vladimir Putin will do to make life more difficult for the people of Finland and the leaders in the capital of Helsinki. So with that refresh, let's get to today's news. The government of Finland is accusing Russia this morning of dumping or encouraging illegal migrants to rush the shared border between Russia and Finland. Now, allegedly, Moscow is either dropping these illegals not too far from the border or, this is interesting, they're buying them bicycles to pedal their way to and over the border. Well, this past week, Finland has seen over 300 or so of these migrants on their bicycles or otherwise at the border. These illegals, by the way, are coming from nations exclusively in the Middle East and Northern Africa. Well, in response to this sudden increase, authorities in Helsinki are putting up more border fencing, more barbed wire, and in some cases, they're dousing these illegals with pepper spray. But that's actually not the worst of the problem, folks. This migrant crisis is spreading far beyond Finland and with some pretty dangerous actors involved. So here's what we know. European press over the weekend reported that nations like Hungary are being overrun by these exact same migrants, either organized by Russia or, this is incredible, the Taliban. So to put some numbers to this, Hungary has been inundated by tens of thousands of migrants this year, mostly from Afghanistan and some from Syria. They're being sent by organizers belonging to the Afghan terror group known as the Haqqani Network. They are a longtime nemesis and occasional friend of the U.S. government and the CIA. Well, the Haqqanis are taking advantage of two smuggling routes. There is one called the Balkan route that goes through the country of Turkey and the other through the nation of Tajikistan and then into Russia. Well, interestingly, Moscow is then turning a blind eye to all these Afghans and other Middle Eastern males, pushing them into Europe. And that is raising alarm bells all across the continent, especially about terrorism. Indeed, two weeks ago, Hungarian intelligence officers briefed their parliament, predicting that some of these Afghan illegals are probably connected to either radical Islam or radical terror groups. And some may be secretly planning to conduct future terror attacks either in Hungary or throughout Europe. So, my goodness, will that happen? Mm. Well, let's discuss that. Let me pivot now away from facts and data this morning to my analysis and opinion. So let's start with Russia. What Putin is doing is getting revenge, right? After he invaded Ukraine, Europe has just been hammering him with all sorts of sanctions and such. So he is weaponizing this illegal migrant trade, right? He's trying to overwhelm these uh, European countries or irritate their political systems. And I'm sure he's thinking that if these uh, Islamic radicals or terrorists can destroy parts of Europe from within, then great, he would say. As for this Taliban connection and the Haqqani network, I think that there are three things going on. First, it's about cash. Human trafficking is very lucrative, and it's a great way for these guys to make money, especially in an Afghan economy that doesn't have a lot of cash to spare. 
Second, there's also been a recent push by the neighbor Pakistan to kick out nearly 4 million Afghans who are in that country as refugees. So it's possible, if not probable, that the Taliban and the Haqqanis are just pushing this 4 million people problem off to Europe. Third, and finally, for my military veterans and intel officers listening this morning, you know how lethal both the Haqqanis and the Taliban are. You also know of their complicated relationships with al-Qaeda, with us, with the Saudis and other radical Salafi or Wahhabi groups. And that, that leads me to this. I suspect that this migrant pipeline has a mission of terror, sleeper cells, in other words. And you know, come to think of it, why wouldn't the Taliban or the Haqqanis do this? Right? They know that Europe can't or won't stop it. There are just too many European rules that guarantee asylum. Or if I could be a bit cheeky here, they, uh, they've got a Statue of Liberty problem. Send us your tired, huddled masses yearning to blow us up. And that is what these Haqqanis are preparing to do, I think, to Europe and us, by the way. So the point is this. Europe has a serious illegal migrant problem this morning. We see it in Finland. We see it in Hungary. And we see it in Italy. In fact, we talked about the mess that Rome is facing with their migrant crisis back on September 29th, if you missed that episode. So that's why I'm going to keep watching this issue and watch if voters in Europe are doing the same thing. And to that point, we're actually starting to see some early indicators in countries like Switzerland and Germany through some recent elections where the voters are saying, yeah, we've had enough. More to come on that. And with that, let's pivot now to our third report of the morning talking about elections abroad. Breaking news, ladies and gentlemen, out of the South American country of Argentina. But before we get to that news, let's talk about why we should care about this place. Argentina is a country with about $30 billion in trade with the United States, most of which is American products and services going there, our exports. In other words, odds are that a factory or a farm in your state or region is making money or creating jobs with the help of these exports to Argentina. So that alone, I think, is a great reason to care about big developments out of Argentina. And this morning, whew, we certainly have one. A man named Javier Millet just won the presidency of Argentina by a vote of 55 to 45%. And that's pretty convincing by their standards. The reason, by the way, that these voters chose this man is because Argentina is a wreck. First, inflation that runs at 140% annually. Second, just under a half of the population in this country lives in poverty. Third, their currency is all but useless. And fourth, they have a massive debt problem to include a whole bunch of money to the Chinese. And so the voters this weekend had a choice. Go with the current government's candidate that brought about this train wreck or choose a total newbie to politics, a guy named Javier Mille. And the voters chose the new guy. Now, no doubt you are going to be reading a ton of press, mostly from the West, that this guy is just bonkers. And to be fair, he's certainly a colorful character. For instance, he's got some wild rock star-like hair, which he combs like that on purpose, by the way. He is also a perennial bachelor, and he's got a dog that he cloned from his last one. Oh, oh, this one's fun. He uses chainsaws at campaign events, which, you know, who doesn't love a good chainsaw? But seriously, he is also an economist, and he has made clear that his country is broken, and that brokenness is the fault of his nation's elites. He calls them useless parasites. And so he is willing to try radical ideas. For instance, what he's talking about and proposing is to throw out his country's central bank. He also wants to replace his currency with the U.S. dollar. And this is important. 
he will not allow his country to do business with any communist nation, including China. Instead, he will favor ties with, quote, the civilized side of the world, end quote. Now, some of his staffers are playing down this idea, probably because China has so much of their debt, but we shall see. Finally, I should tell you that Mr. Miley is also a staunch social conservative, very pro-life, and not a fan of the current pope. If you want to learn more about that, the former Fox host Tucker Carlson did a fascinating interview with him. Link uh, for that is in the transcripts. So overall, folks, let's watch this country closely as our trade relationship depends on this man and his people buying our goods. For what it's worth, we do buy some of their stuff too. A little bit of Argentine beef and soybeans, for example. And those Argentine growers are very happy this morning, by the way. The country's farmers and ranchers were in broad favor of this new wild-haired president. Let's uh, see if they're still celebrating this guy in a few months. With that, we pivot now to our final report of the morning. An update for you on the war in the Middle East, with three key updates for you about first, the operation in the Gaza Strip, second, attacks on U.S. service members, and third, the growing chances this morning for peace. We start with the first bit, the latest on the Gaza Strip. Last week, there was a lot of news that I shared with you about the Al-Shifa hospital and that northern section of Gaza. It was widely rumored to be a front for Hamas. Well, the hospital has been emptied over the weekend for the most part. An evacuation took place on Friday and continued through yesterday. Thousands of people and patients fled to the south on foot, wheelchair, donkey, ambulances. Here's some good news. The babies in the NICU, thankfully, were safely moved as well. And now the search of the Al-Shifa hospital begins with the Israeli Defense Forces bringing along journalists to that hospital over the weekend. And they show them what has been discovered so far. And so far, that includes at least one tunnel entrance, uh, also an assortment of guns, many Hamas uniforms, several laptops, which sadly have photos of hostages on them from Israel. There's also video from inside the hospital of at least one Israeli hostage who was trying to break free, but Hamas had him tied up and they were shoving him through the hallways. And so this fight over Al-Shifa and the northern Gaza area in general now goes underground with hundreds of those miles of tunnels to be explored. We also continue to learn but that the Israelis are continuing to explore these by using robots, drones, and a type of very interesting exploding gel that is inside a grenade that, uh, when it's fired, but trips through all the booby traps and saves the soldiers' lives. They're also using mapping software to begin the very long process of understanding where these tunnels go from and where they go to. Meanwhile, we also have new confirmation this morning that the Israelis plan to move military operations from the north to the south of Gaza. Now, as I shared with you on Friday, that would likely bring additional scrutiny and pressure on Israel, as they had originally told people to flee to the south, which is now the very place that they're bombing or planning to otherwise occupy for some period of time. Well, regardless, this operation in the south of Gaza is underway. Israel dropped warning leaflets in the south over the weekend, and there were then subsequent missile strikes. One last thing. The White House and the president of France both warned the Israeli government over the weekend that they've got to get better control of Israelis who they allege are using this moment of crisis to grab more land in the West Bank that belongs to the Palestinians. To this point, Biden's team published an op-ed this weekend saying that he would hold Israeli's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu responsible for what's called settler violence, with plans to sanction these Israelis who've taken these Palestinian homes or farm ground. 
Now, to be fair, some Israeli commentators say that this allegation of Israeli settler violence in the West Bank is exaggerated or overstated for political reasons. But nevertheless, the U.S. and European governments are moving ahead this morning with their warnings. And that takes us to development number two out of the Middle East. American troops are under increasing attack throughout the region this morning from Iranian militant groups like Hezbollah. As U.S. press reported over the weekend, senior leaders at the Pentagon are growing increasingly frustrated with the White House because these Iranian attacks are way up over the past month. 61 attacks in all, mostly rocket fire, but also suicide drone attacks. All in all, the Iranians have hit 10 U.S. bases, both in Syria and Iraq, and about 60 military personnel and contractors have been injured. Now, it is true that the White House has authorized at least three known counterstrikes against Iran or its uh, militant groups, but obviously that has done very little to stop or slow Iran or its groups like Hezbollah. In other words, whatever the White House says, uh, you know, said to Iran to tell them to stop, well, it hasn't worked. That's because these folks just are not afraid of America's leadership. And that takes us to our third piece of news out of the Middle East. Ah, this is good news. Some hope for peace. The government of Qatar over the weekend said that there is a tentative deal to pause military operations in Gaza for anywhere from three to five days. In exchange, Hamas is going to turn over about 50 hostages, women and children only. Now, that is sadly far shy of the 250 or so total hostages that we know of, but it's a start. Now, this plan apparently has a lot of steam behind it. Qatar's prime minister said that only minor obstacles remain, just logistical, as he said over the weekend. But the Israelis in the White House, they're a bit more careful with their assessment, to the point Israel's ambassador to the United Nations said yesterday that while he and his government are hopeful for a deal, nothing is confirmed. Instead, that they say we should know in the next day or two whether this tentative plan with Hamas will stick. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is a listener question today sent to us from one of my paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. Bob in the fine city of Lacey, Washington wrote in and he asked this, Brian, the CIA has assassin teams, I would imagine. So why can't they kill more of Hamas's leadership? Because we know that many of them live outside of the Gaza Strip in countries like Turkey and Qatar. So Bob, two things. First, thank you. Thank you for being a paid subscriber. And this is important to repeat. If I didn't have people like you and the other 2,000 or so folks who pay $6 a month, this podcast would not be on the air. So thank you. And to all my wonderful donors, thank you. Second, let's talk about your awesome question. I love it. One of my favorite things, killing bad guys. All right. First, it is true that the United States government has very good teams that kill bad guys. And those teams either belong to the U.S. military or the CIA. Generally speaking, though, the military are the ones that have the folks that you would envision, say, from the movies, right? People on the ground grabbing, killing the bad guy, and then leaving the scene. The CIA has a similar capacity, but it's a bit different. More drones and that technological kind of stuff. Next, the NSA is a critical player here, too, with targeted killings of all the bad guys, and that's because they support these operations with providing captured emails or phone calls, that kind of stuff. In other words, they give the operators pattern of life information that you need to find and then kill the bad guys. So, Bob, the U.S. government does have the tools, the capacity to execute your Hamas mission. 
it then becomes a political question. And to understand what I mean there, Bob, let's imagine that you are America's president this morning. And like so many of us, you are reading the news and thinking, "Ah, wouldn't the world be better off if Hamas's leadership in Turkey or Qatar were just a puddle of pink goo? All right, let's do it. Let's imagine that we are seriously considering an operation this morning, codenamed Pepto-Bismol. And we start with three questions. First, why should we do it? In other words, we have a lot of targets from all around the world that are of interest to us. Why is this one more important than others? If I could say it differently, why should we dedicate our limited resources and teams to this target? And on a related note, why can't others do this, the Israelis in particular? Because Hamas is of far greater concern to them than us. So we should probably consider that, asking the Israelis what they're up to on this. But the point is, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to prioritize our target sets and those limited resources. Second, Bob, what I'll tell you is these assassinations require exquisite planning. And that means high quality intelligence before we ever pull a trigger or otherwise. So let's talk about that. So let's say intel operators like me have found your Hamas target. And let's say they live in Istanbul. I know the house that they live in. I also know that this guy, the Hamas leader, goes to the countryside. He visits his girlfriend. It's a secret girlfriend on the last Saturday of every month, like clockwork. Now, I know that because the CIA, the NSA, and others collect on key bad guys. But I should tell you, not all bad guys and not all the time. Right? For guys like me or folks at the NSA, it requires weeks or months, even years of good collection efforts to pull together this good intel. So I offer you this to know, because it's in very, uh, I think, important for us to understand as we're planning that we might be a little bit shy of good, high-quality intelligence that's high confidence, that's all-source intelligence that we're going to need to execute this mission. Now, here's some good news. Technology is changing this a bit. Over the summer, for instance, we talked about something called digital exhaust, right? The private sector collecting a whole bunch of information on us, pattern of life shall we say, from things like cell phones, internet-connected cars, and surveillance cameras that use advanced software or AI. Plus, there's all that older stuff, too, like credit card usage. It's all great stuff if used for the right purposes to include Intel purposes. But the point is this. Intel collection, getting that pattern of life, can be time-consuming. All right, so that takes us to issue number three that you, Mr. Bob, a president, need to consider. And that is blowback. So here's what I mean. So let's say that we have collected a lot of great intelligence for years on our Hamas target, and we are locked in at this uh, girlfriend's house on each Saturday once a month. Well, we've got a few different options to kill him, don't we? You could fly an armed drone and fire a missile at him. Uh, You'd probably kill him, his girlfriend, maybe, God forbid, a couple of other folks nearby. Or perhaps because of that and that risk, you want something a little bit more subtle. Right, You send in a team that quietly enters the building, you kill the target, and then they retreat under the cover of darkness. But either way, with either team, they are going to make some noise to a degree, and that could include physical noise, like an explosion or gunfire, or your team might leave behind digital noise, maybe a team member's plane ticket or biometrics that were captured at the airport in Istanbul. To give you a real-life example about this, Bob, I want you to do me a favor. Do an internet search on a target named Abu Omar. He was kidnapped or rendered in the country of Italy years ago by the CIA, and it got very messy. And that's the point here. That operation is now in the press, 
And there has been a tremendous amount of blowback because of it. A lot of angry people, angry governments, angry lawyers and their lawsuits and prison time all directed at either the U.S. or Italian governments or their personnel. And so now we ask, was it worth it? Was the risk worth the gain? And that is what you would have to ask in this case as we think about our our Hamas guy at his girlfriend's house. What would you do if the government of Turkey would find out? And what would they do in response? And do you care what they think? Now, in the case of Turkey, they are a NATO member, and we need them to do other stuff for and with us on things like Ukraine or Europe's migrant crisis. But in other operations and other cases, maybe we don't care if we get caught because that's part of the benefit. So, for example, let's say that you, President Bob, starts Operation Pepto-Bismol in Mexico, and you blow up some cartel members and maybe some corrupt government or military officials that were standing next to them. Oopsie. And then obviously Mexico finds out. But perhaps we don't care in this case, because we're actually sending a message, right? To the Mexicans, we say, keep playing silly games with the cartels and you're going to win some silly Pepto prizes to the risk versus gain to all that intel collection challenge. That's what you'd have to consider if you wanted to kill Hamas's leadership. And for what it's worth, if I were to offer you counsel as president, I would recommend this. Let the Israelis handle these guys. Tell them to just go for it. We're going to give them some intel as they would like it. And if the president of Turkey, Erdogan, gets a little bit lippy, yeah, we'll handle him. How? Hmm. Well, maybe we know a secret about him that he would prefer that no one know. And so we discreetly mentioned that to him as perhaps a motivation for him to just hush. And that might work. Just an idea. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. Ah, I have a favor to ask. Two, actually. First, would you please do me this favor? Tell somebody about the right report this week. Encourage them to give me a listen. And they can do so on all the major platforms, plus Substack, or there's a really cool website. It's called podfollow.com. That's P-O-D-follow.com. It's a pretty cool little website. You just, once you get there, look up right report on podfollow.com and then take the link that you get and send that to your friends. Second, if you have never left a review before on, say, Apple or Spotify or whatever platform you listen to, please do leave a review for me. It helps push the algorithms in my direction to encourage folks who are browsing to consider this podcast. So thank you for doing one or both of those things this week. I am grateful. And as always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town. My hands are full all day, every day. I love it. Asante, as your TurboTax expert, I'll make your moves count, guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert! Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live.